Hello and welcome to the Sustainability Leaders Series. I'm Oriel Morrison. Almost every nation on earth has signed up to the Paris Agreement, a 2015 pact for international cooperation to tackle climate change. Six years later, at COP26, 197 countries signed the Glasgow Climate Pact, which acknowledges that commitments made so far won't hit the targets set in Paris. The science is clear. Failure to set and meet tougher goals will have extreme consequences. But measuring success is complex, with countries responding to the challenge in different ways. Esteemed US universities Yale and Columbia have joined forces to create the Environmental Performance Index, ranking 180 countries for their greenness. I'm joined now by Martin Wolf, Principal Investigator for the EPI at the Yale Centre for Environmental Law and Policy. Welcome, Martin. Now, the 2022 numbers are in. It's clearly a dire situation. Now, the results are showing that most countries are not on track to meet net zero goals established in Glasgow. Is this what you expected? This is unfortunately what we expected. However, we want to also emphasise a message of hope the best hope that we have to move countries and the whole world towards a more sustainable future, the best hope lies in these data-driven metrics that allow policymakers to comprehend what the latest environmental research is saying and highlight the best policies to put their countries on track towards a more sustainable future. So Martin, what are the countries that are on track to reach greenhouse gas neutrality by 2050? What are they doing right? There are only a few countries on track to reach greenhouse gas neutrality by 2050, among them uh, Denmark, the United Kingdom, uh, as well as a few surprises, Botswana and Namibia currently on track to reach uh, greenhouse gas neutrality by 2050. So when you look at what, uh, what policies leaders like Denmark and the United Kingdom are implementing to reach this climate goal, it's really a broad suite of climate policies, including uh, greenhouse gas uh, charges or taxes that incentivizes the more efficient use of, of fossil fuels. But also they've, they've actually enshrined in law um, uh, the goal to reach a certain target, certain emissions threshold by 2030, and ultimately zero or net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. So we see these countries backing up their pledges with concrete and substantive national policies to actually put their countries on track uh, to, to reach this goal. So how did the Asia-Pacific region, Martin, perform compared with the rest of the world? The Asia-Pacific region is, is quite interesting because in that region, we see some of the widest range in scores. Uh, at the top, we see countries like Japan, uh, that perform very similarly uh, to, to other uh, wealthy countries in the global West. And then we see countries like India and, and Myanmar uh, and other countries that are really struggling across the whole range of sustainability issues that the Environmental Performance Index tracks, covering issues not only relating to climate change, but also air quality, water quality, habitat conservation and biodiversity preservation. The poor performing countries uh, tend to perform poorly for at least two reasons. Uh, one, they're prioritizing economic growth at the expense of sustainability. 
Other poor performing countries uh, perform poorly because they're su suffering from civil unrest or they lack the financial resources or really the political or governance infrastructures to prioritize uh, natural resource conservation and uh, environmental preservation. What I found interesting in this report was China and India moving in, in opposite directions. I too am interested in the, the diverging trends that China and India uh, show over the past couple of iterations of the Environmental Performance Index. When we take a really important issue like air quality, for example, uh, 10 years ago, uh, 20 out of the 30 most polluted cities in the world were located in China. China has since recognized the severe environmental public health impacts of poor air quality and uh, unmitigated air pollution emissions, and they've implemented policies to successfully reverse those trends. So air quality in China is still certainly poor, don't, don't get me wrong, uh, but we've seen air quality kind of plateau in, in many cir circumstances in many cities for many air pollutants that started to improve. Air pollution in India, however, continues to, to get worse, um, putting really driving India's poor performance uh, in the 2022 Environmental Performance Index. Now, Martin, you started off our conversation today talking about optimism, and you've interestingly enough found a, a strong correlation between EPI scores and government effectiveness and rule of law. So how much has environmental policy making improved in recent years? We've seen it improve in certain countries and unfortunately backslid, a backslide in, in other countries. When we look at who the poor performing countries are uh, in the overall EPI, we see countries like Myanmar um, and Haiti uh, fall towards the bottom of the 180 countries in the ranking. These countries are, of course, suffering from civil unrest, so there's a lack of good governance. And of course, the lack of enforcement of environmental provisions, let alone the lack of power to really pass environmental regulations. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you with us for this conversation. Thank you so much, Oriel. Nearly 200 countries have ratified the Paris Accord to limit global warming to one and a half degrees. We're joined now by someone who knows a lot about the global landscape when it comes to sustainability. Katrina Rymill, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations, Sustainability and Treasury for Equinix is with us now. Katrina, so great to have you with us today. Welcome to the program. Now, Equinix is a global company in 31 countries around the world. Where is the focus on sustainability greatest? Well, thank you for hosting today. Uh, as we set Equinix's future first strategy, it really is about setting ambitious targets. As a digital infrastructure provi provider, we were the first to have a 100% renewable energy commitment. That was back in 2015. From there, we've made tremendous progress. We've been building that out to over 95% coverage as of last year through a variety of mechanisms, including virtual power purchase agreements, which is additive to the grid, to looking at actually buying direct renewable energy coverage in the various countries. Now, from there, we also set out medium-term targets, being one of the first data centers to set science-based targets by 2030, which is about reducing our scope one into emissions by 50% in that time period, as well as a little bit more of a stretch of a climate neutral goal by 2030. One of the feedbacks we heard from investors was there was a real interest in tying back these overall longer term goals into the actual annual metrics. Last year was the first time we tied environmental and social metrics across seven different areas, actually back into our leadership compensation.
as a modifier. Which of the countries around the world, because you are in so many, of course, Katrina, are the most receptive to this sort of very much focused, target focused on, on ESG and aligning that to corporate strategy and aligning that to compensation? Certainly, one of our one of our uh, challenges is we we operate in uh, in seventy plus metros. Uh, as you said, it's it's thirty plus countries. There's a lot of different movement we're seeing on sustainability. We are seeing uh, when we look across the regions, um, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, for example, in Asia Pacific interest coming out of Singapore, around um, driving sustainability. Um, Europe has seen a, a pickup in European Union uh, interest in the topic and. We're thinking about not just how do we drive it at a uh, at a regional level, but at a country level, and we really want to match up and, and help support uh, what the governments are aiming from their own goals. Same is the case for our customers. We have some of our largest customers setting very ambitious uh, climate targets, and we, as a digital infrastructure provider, want to make sure that we are lining up as the underlying green infrastructure behind them. Are you getting a positive response from your customers, from your clients around the world? Are they really focusing in on your leadership position when it comes to all things sustainability? It's, it has just seen a dramatic pickup. Every year we have seen a doubling of customer interest in this area. Now we have 10,000 customers. To give you a sense, we had maybe you know, about 100 uh, engaged with us. And we're now at a rate of over 1,000 of our largest customers wanting to look and understand their footprints, working together on partnership around these goals and wanting to, to really, really lean in. So it's an element that um, it's exciting to work on. I see customers at the forefront. I see governments at the forefront of pushing sustainability. And that helps feed back into the, into the overall strategy. How clear is the impact on the bottom line, Katrina? You talked about financial alignment. You know, when we're talking about the push to go green. So I, I, I am all about driving actual value, and that means putting dollars behind it, right? So it's one thing to set these, these overall targets, short, medium, turn, but it's really about, well, what are you actually investing in and what are you putting your resources behind? We're one of the largest issuers of green bonds, uh, 4.9 billion invested in green buildings, renewable energy, energy efficiency projects, water and circular economy. So it's, it's about taking the overall commitments and then actually translating that into investment, invested dollars. Also, the efficient, energy efficiency projects. We've invested over $160 million um, over the last 10 years to help our data centers run more efficiently. And that means by running more efficiently, we are reducing carbon emissions for our customers. When you look around the world, what is the hardest part of your job right now, Katrina? Well, I set an interesting spot where uh, I overall lead investor relations, sustainability, and treasury. So if you look at this convergence of just capital markets, interests, and the importance of dollars invested tied to finance linked to sustainability, that's what my group represents. But some of the harder challenges is hard, how do you represent and actually drive sustainability across the organization? So you need to have leadership alignment in our operations team, procurement, um, legals becoming more involved, uh, finance, the SEC reporting groups are becoming more involved. So while it's fundamentally exciting that uh, companies can be a major, major driver of driving sustainability, 
this, there is a lot of kind of cross-functional coordination that needs to be done to make sure that you are all marching in the same direction. It certainly is. It's a great area to be discussing today. Katrina, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you again. And to our viewers, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Sustainability Leaders Series. I'm Oriel Morrison. For more in this special 12-part series, head to apacnetwork.com.